full life because I want them to understand the strength that, that comes that comes from this history. Hmm. Because you know, when I think of slaves or those who were enslaved, I think of them as success stories, not victims. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 10 of season five, and you just heard a little clip of my conversation with Brian C. Johnson. He talked about the book, Send Judah First, which originally came out in 2019, but I still wanted to have him on to talk about this book because we have never really covered this time in history or talked about American slavery very much. That is what my book, One Traveler, is about. It's about the Underground Railroad and um, American slavery. My my book is set right before the Civil War, and it doesn't go as deep into slavery and the life of a slave as Brian's book does. So um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. It's a little bit different because, honestly, I get a little bit vulnerable about my my ignorance on this topic. But Brian was such a gracious guest and um, answered my questions so thoughtfully. Now, I did want to give you a little bit of background before we get started that um, Brian got this idea for this book when he visited Belgrove Plantation in Virginia with his students. He's a teacher and uh, a professor. And at Belgrove, he heard about a an enslaved woman who was a cook for the household, and he just was inspired to write her story as much as he could. So um, he will talk about that a little bit, but I thought it was good to give you guys a little bit of background. And I think that's all I need to share with you before we get started with the interview. So here's my interview with Brian C. Johnson. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. You have written a historical novel, Send Judah First, The Erased Life of an, an Enslaved Soul. Can you tell me about this book? Uh, I, I hope it was haunting. Yeah. It, had, yeah. it has haunted me. I came across, quote unquote, a, a story about a young woman who was, who was this, this enslaved cook at a plantation in Belgrove, named Belgrove. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I took a group of students there and we spent the night. And they had a, 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 a park ranger there from the National Park Service who introduced us to this enslaved cook. And I remember that day, I was so taken by her story that mm. uh, uh, the ranger, her name was Shannon. Shannon, I remember saying these words. She said, there are only two documents in existence that prove you'd ever lived. And that hurt me. Because mm-hmm. I live my I live my life for significance. I want I want my somebody to remember me besides my wife and children. Yeah. And so the fact that this woman lived, served others for you know forty years, and then to be forgotten, I thought that was uh, rude. Mm-hmm. And so I whispered. I remember sitting on the steps. I said, "I whispered to the wind, I'll tell your story. You, they, we won't forget you." And she took over my life life after that. Wow. So was the ranger reenacting like no, Judah's life? No. She, okay. She was just telling a story. Okay. She, so she and, just- and she and she told she she said to 
uh, to us to imagine Judah's life. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. Wow. So this book has a lot of great reviews and, you know, you've told me the inspiration. So from that point, like what, what year was that, that you visited Belgrove Plantation and- 2016. Okay. And so take me from that point, take me through the process you followed after your initial inspiration. How did you find out more about her or did you, or like, what was your research and your writing process like for this book? Well, I should say, I, I never ever intended to write historical fiction. It never, never, never dawned on my mind. Mm. I, I didn't think I had it within me because, because uh, historical fiction is my, in my mind is very serious writing. It's for, for it, what I used to say, it's for real writers. <laughs> and this is, this was only my second novel. Oh, wow. So, so um, I remember at the conclusion of our, our weekend, I went to the director of the plantation. I said, I want to tell you the story. Mm-hmm. And she was very excited. Um, so, so she sent me those two documents mm-hmm. that I mentioned. And the story took over from there. So what were those two documents? Can you uh, tell us? One, one was the the letter from her, from her mistress friend, her master's wife's friend. Um, uh-huh. saying that Judah had died. Mm. And the second was um, a note from the family archives. Wow. So like the first thing that mentioned that she existed was a letter stating that she had died. Yeah. And, and what, a, what a, uh, like a disservice to her, to her master's family because mm. it was inconvenience is the word I was looking for. Um, and so she basically said, our life is so, so, uh, bad off now. Mm. Like what what are we going to do sort of thing? So thinking of themselves and how this affected them. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, I, I took to writing. It was, it was a pretty simple process because, uh, it was just, uh, Kristen was her, was, is the executive director's name. Um, uh, and she just, so she gave me, she said, just go write. And so that's what I did. And so mm-hmm. I, I wrote, I started a story and I would check in with her periodically. Um, and she would correct me when I got some history, history wrong. She was there. She was rightfully protective of the plantation's reputation and the history. Mm-hmm. And so she told me when I got things wrong. Um, so f- first things first is, Part of my mission in writing this is I want to correct the narrative and I want to tell what I consider the truth um, because mm-hmm. I, the history books don't necessarily do a good good job of telling the American history story related to slavery. Mm-hmm. And, I want, and I want to tell a truth. And so she, so one of the first things that I, you know, I did, because when you, when you think slavery, you automatically think cotton, mm-hmm. that black, I'll pick picking cotton. Yeah. And so I wrote all this this language around cotton, and she said, "Brown, we are not in cotton c- country here in Virginia." <laughs> yeah. And so, so she's like, she said, this, "You know, this is this tobacco country." Mm-hmm. So it was it was because I had never heard that the difference uh, in the narrative that I understood about slavery. Right. So I had to correct my thinking. 
and therefore correct my story in that in doing in doing it that way. So did you send her like as you wrote it? Did you send her chapters? Uh, yeah, I would send her pieces per- periodically. Yeah. I just was curious because I can't do that. I can't let anyone see my rough draft. <laughs> I usually I wait until I'm done with the first draft. And then usually after the second draft, I start to show it to people. That's brave. <laughs> well, I wanted to get it right. Yeah. Again, I, I you know, had never read historical fiction before. So I wanted to get it right the whole way. Yeah, that's great. And that's... It's so easy to do things like that. We have these assumptions, right. like for instance, the assuming that <laughs> they were slaves, they must have been picking cotton, but that wasn't what they were doing there. You really didn't know particulars about her. You knew that she was a cook, right? Yeah. And you knew what you could find out about Belgrove, so you could make assumptions probably from that about what she did and... Um, did you know that she had children? Did you know any of those details about her? I did. Shannon, in Shannon's presentation, she told us that, that Judah had 12 children. Okay. Well, she, she had two before she got to Belgrove. She came to Belgrove mm-hmm. with two children, but she had 10 additional children. They, they knew nothing about her there. Her, no, the, like they didn't know who her father was or anything like that. Right. And so that was that was part of my mission is understanding how that happened. And again, related to significance, you know, I can only imagine, you know, tw- 12 children and ne- nobody remembered, nobody remembered who she was. And so that was troublesome for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, you knew that she had 12 children. Did you know who they were or did you have to kind of um, imagine that part of the no, story I, as well? Their names, but that was it. Only their names. Okay. And you didn't know their father, who the fathers were or anything like no. that. So then I've, I also noticed, first of all, you start her life in, or you start the story in Africa. So did you have any information that led you to believe that she was not born in the U S that she was born in Africa? No, I had no, I had no knowledge of how she got here. Right. So that was just, what you imagined her life to be. But so you also chose to use um, Swahili in the novel. Can you tell me about a little bit about what made you decide to start in Africa and use Swahili? Uh, I, so part of it was I wanted to address how, how we, uh, I was in competition with other slave narratives. Mm. And I, I didn't, I, I don't speak in any other languages besides English. Yeah. And so Swahili was the only language that I really knew I knew of Africa. Mm-hmm. And so um, then I found Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the things when I went in the, in, uh, t- in, since this book has come out, I had a, I, I had a, a book club from, from a college choose my, choose my, book for their common reading. Oh, and I, yeah. I had a, uh, a discussion with the faculty, some of the faculty mm-hmm. and one of the professors challenged me that, that I should not have used Swahili. I should have used Igbo oh. because that would have been probably closer to the real language. 
Is that because of, um, you know, where she came from in Africa? I don't know. Or it could have been the time. I don't know. Um, I've been to Kenya and they do speak Swahili there now, but I don't know if like historically. Um, Also, it's very interesting that the, the spelling of Swahili is basically takes after English. um, I believe that the written form was developed later and just kind of the sounds are that you can read it and it's, you know, you're not going to mispronounce it. Like if you try to read an Italian or a French word and with the English pronunciation. Another Um, reason, another reason I chose Swahili is because uh, I have a friend who is a professor of African history and she speaks Swahili. So I figured I have have somebody that could translate for me. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. I know I used, um, the Slovak language in um, a novel that I wrote. And although I relied on Google translate somewhat um, as well as my own study of the language, I also, I had um, a cousin who read it for me and I said, you need to tell me if this is (laughs) like accurate, if any, if I'm using these wrong and he did catch some things. So I know Google translate is only, it only goes so far. The other side that I thought was important um, is because like I've gone to, um, Colonial Williamsburg. Yes. And I'm always amazed that or interested in how they tell the story. Mm. And so many times historical sites uh, try to whitewash the, the beginning stories. Um, and so I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring her from Africa because I wanted to address the language barrier. Mm, yeah. Because uh, the history books do not, you know, think of how they tell the Thanksgiving story. It's all these, these Native Americans and the pilgrims just got along. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It's really, and it, and it tells a cute little story for children. But the real thing, the real idea is language barriers cause problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted there to be some tension related to her learning English. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you were thinking of kind of bringing to light the whole, in her story, what various different enslaved people might have faced. Right. Um, So also there's, because she was a cook, there's a lot of food in this novel. How did you learn about the dishes that you included and, and how she would have prepared them? Um, I, I am very fascinated by, by the stories of, African-American cooking and how soul food began. Yeah. But, um, uh, the Kristen from Belgrove sent me the Belgrove cookbook. So, Oh, great. So a lot of the recipes or the, a lot of the ideas of how the food was prepared came from there. Mm-hmm. Did you try making them? Some things I did. Yeah, that's great. Was there any like what was your favorite out of your like experimental? Um I make pies. Ah. Per- and one pie that I made in for the the book is was uh, is is apple pie. It's it's a very good pie. Um and then so I tried that I there's a recipe there's a recipe I included for vinegar pie. Oh, I've heard of that. 
And I was, I was having a Juneteenth celebration in my house, mm-hmm. uh, probably a year after the book came out. And I wanted to try this vinegar pie and it was disgusting. And my family <laughs> hates it. Now, if you think about it, vinegar, vinegar pie does not sound good. No, it doesn't. But what is in it besides vinegar? It's like a it's like a cream pie pudding sort of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. But is it sweet? It's very sweet. Very sweet, but it has vinegar in it too. Yeah. So like a sweet and sour type. It's sweet and disgusting. <laughs> okay, that's probably all I need to know. I don't think I will experiment with that one. <laughs> My family used to be experimenting with food. Yeah. Well, it's fun sometimes, but if you know it's going to be disgusting, that's not fun. So how has, you know, you said you never thought about writing historical fiction. Um, How has writing this novel changed your view of history? Um, It it has deepened my commitment to, to telling the slave stories. Mm. Um, Part of it, part of it is, I think the idea that um, American history is, not told correctly. I'm a teacher, so mm-hmm. I I want my students to understand the realities of life and the realities of slave life in particular. Because a number of the students who came with me, I, so at the, at the time I was the director of the Frederick Douglass Institute, for, and so I wanted to um help my students understand the life of Frederick Douglass. Yeah. And so I arranged for this trip and I remember there were 25, I was, I had, was planning to take 25 students with me on this trip. I made all the arrangements and rented a bus and rented sleeping bags and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and only seven students showed up. Oh my goodness. So I told, I told the students about this trip in August. We were going in October. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the time between August and, and, and October, I had all the complaints and I had mm-hmm. students who were very angry about the, the possibility of going to the, on this trip. And I had several students who were fearful. I remember one student came to me. He was so angry. He said, I, I know all I need to know about slavery. There's no reason, no reason for me to go on this. And um, really? I had one student say, Mr. Johnson, I can't go because mess, mess is going to get me. And she was so afraid that, I said, listen, Mess has been dead 200 years. He can't get you. And I said, number number two, I wouldn't allow him to get you because he's if he gets you, he's got to get me too. So this was a black girl? Is that yeah. where the fear came from? Yes. Wow. And so there was a lot of, of standoffishness related to going. And I had one student who was gung-ho about going. Her father was really, under, was really excited about her going on this trip. Yeah. So we had we end up with seven seven on the bus, and I think they learned a lot. They we the the weekend we chose was a very important weekend for Bell Grove because it was a historical weekend related to the to the Civil War, mm-hmm. and so we were going and they were doing a living history all that weekend. Yeah, and so there were people in period dress, et cetera, et cetera, um, while we were there, and so they learned the students learned a lot. Right, that's great. I can't believe there was so much um, opposition to the trip. Like, I don't know, just looking back, I loved going to things like that. So these are all college students that were kind of dropped out of the trip. So, and you said that this has given like 
renewed your resolve, I guess, to tell slave stories? Are you talking about just mostly to your students or are you thinking of writing more narratives like this one? It's narratives like this one. So, the, so for instance, um, I know there's something about writing the, the stories of a, of a cook. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really been been taken with the idea of telling hidden stories. And so I've, I've tried to connect with other plantations and, and if they have, they have uh, stories related to their cook, because food tells a story. We know a lot about who we are through the food. And so uh, for instance, I now have my, my current work in progress. Um, it tells the story of the, of the, of the enslaved cook at Bill at Stratford hall, which is in Virginia, the former Lee plantation. Hmm. And so I'm telling that story. Oh, that's neat. That it could be a like a series about cooks from different plantations and telling their stories. Um, I did want to go back to my my comment that um, that I would have loved to go on a trip like that. And I'm I'm realizing I know like I don't know I don't understand the reticence of of all your students, but I also understand that I can't understand the girls' fear that you were talking about. Um, you know that I you know, had a different story. I wouldn't have understood that. Did you, was she the only one who had that kind of fear of like the massa? The fear was rampant. Among more than just that girl. But she was just, she was the voice of it. Okay. Wow. But I, but I think that's because if you think about how we teach black history in, in America, um, we, we basically tell black students that they were, they were, their, their history is they were born in chains. Hmm. And so, but, but they have never been given a chance to see what what slave life was like, besides beatings, besides whipping. Yeah. And so I wanted to tell a a full. I wanted to give her a full Judah a food life. Yeah. So that was because that was really a highlight of Shannon's presentation. Is it was giving her, giving us a, a fuller perspective of who she was. Right. And so like a I whole was, person, yeah, yeah. So, so like even like her telling us the two her children, she had each person um, take uh, one of her children's names, and and during during her a time she would she would ask us each to say a child's name. So so it helped us to see to give life to who that person was, um, and so that helped me to, to to try to imagine this perspective there's this new this full identity i want to tell a complex story i want to give it give it life in because typically what we do when we when we when we when we call someone a slave that's the that's all the, that's all you get mm-hmm. you, you, you know everything now hmm. and so i want to give a whole humanity to judah and her children Right. Did that help diffuse some of the fear? Did you find that? Yeah, I think that I think the fear was just getting there. Because mm. um, if we say plantation, it mm. comes all it's all of the baggage. Yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, if once we got past the fear of going. To, so I want you to imagine 
going there on that. Imagine going with that fear in your mind on the bus. And we and then we drove. So we drove. Uh, I think it was about three and a half, four hours to get there. Um, which which was a shock in itself that we we'd have uh, to go to a former slave plantation and it was only three or four hours because most of us think are think going deep south. Yeah. Um, which is why which is why I chose to uh, to go to Belgrove. But uh, on the day we got there, uh, as you know, Trump at that at that time was running. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, when you, you 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 when you go on a trip, you you if you're not driving, you typically fall asleep. So the whole bus had fallen asleep, and we so we turned down this this lane going towards Belgrove. Um, and you know somehow your body knows when it's time to wake up, and mm-hmm. I, got, I got a bus load of college students waking up, and the, and they said, Doctor Johnson, I was, I was a doctor by this time. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Johnson, where do you ta- where are you taking us? Because 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 when they got up. The, the 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 streets were lined with with pro Trump signs, oh, and Confederate flags, yeah, and so that fear was 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 tripled um, because of the 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 context. Mm. So you got Confederate flags and Trump signs everywhere, mm-hmm. and we're on our way to a plantation. So. I think um, them being there helped helped them to get over some of that fear. Sure, yeah, I never have heard this before. I don't, I don't know if it's because I just, I don't, I have plenty of. I shouldn't say plenty. I mean, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania, so I don't have a lot of black people in my life, but I have some, and I never heard anyone fearful of slavery happening to them today. Is that a common thing that? you run into with your students? Are a lot of your students black? And is this something that comes up? At the time, all of my students were black. Okay. I don't think that students are are concerned or necessarily concerned or fearful about slavery in that case. It's just that, you know, when you've been reared with the idea that you're a former slave, um, I think it, it's, does something you to to you mentally, hmm. and so I think that that's why I want to teach reality. Um, okay, that I want I want them to 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 not understand this this way of life as something to be afraid of. Um, I want to to them to see to see the full life because I want them to understand the strength that, that comes that comes from this history, hmm. because. You know, when I think of slaves or those who were enslaved, I think of them as success stories, not victims. Right. And so that was, that's my was my mission. I see. Yeah, and when I think of man, the so many whether they lived or, you know, and stayed in their enslaved state but managed to find some kind of beauty in life in spite of it, or if they escaped, or if they like, I think of Harriet Tubman and others who helped many enslaved people escape. Um, to me, that that is, a, I mean, as horrific as slavery was, you know, just the fact that anyone could own a human being. Um, the stories of of how 
many of them rose above are beautiful and inspiring to me. Yeah, me too. But, but and that's part of the, what I wanted to do too. Right. I, I wanted to um, take the history that we that we're often taught and uh, deglaze it. And so mm-hmm. to uh, de-, de construct, if you will. So like, for instance, you know, most most people, it's easy to vilify the white people, but I, but I didn't want to create a one-sided villain. Right. So, so I want the people to understand that you know, those who were, those who were slave owners, most of them at, at um, and during this time, they were, were not just, um, you know, walking around with whipping their hand and just beating everybody. But I think some of them were just victims of the of circumstance of the trying mm-hmm. to participate in the in the economy, and so, you know, I don't want to absolve white pe- white people, but I want us to understand that they were just doing what was necessary to get, get by, mm-hmm. and so I want to to present a full story of white white people as well. Yeah, and you did that um, in Send You to First with, um, you know, the visiting, was it a family member who was kind of talking to Master Height about, like, how can you do this? How can you keep slaves and and also preach about liberty? Yeah, he was, uh, he was a family friend. Yeah, so you've, you've written some other books. You mentioned that you had another novel that came out before Send You to First, and then I know you've written some others, maybe some nonfiction too. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your writing career as a whole and how you got started? Sure. I think it's important to understand diversity. Mm-hmm. And, because I, I'm a diversity educator first and foremost. Um, right. So my nonfiction writing came from my interest in film. So my first six books were about teaching diversity with film. And so that, that was before I got into fiction. Okay. And then my first novel was called The Room Downstairs. Um, and it is a, the story about a young woman who was imprisoned in, in I have to say, my, my, my mother's basement. Because she was, she had an, she, everybody, she was a tomboy and everybody assumed she was gay. So she was imprisoned in this, in this woman's basement, and the goal was to save her soul by the woman would uh, read scriptures to her through the through the, through the heating vents. Oh wow! And the woman the the sad thing is the woman wasn't gay. Mm. Um, but people misunderstood her, and so they would label her. And when you label something, you, you know, as negative, you it's easy to throw away. And so that was how I, that story was created. Um, my third novel, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, that the fir- your first novel though was that based on something real? It was nothing historical except it was it was it was based on my real life. Okay, and I think that's the that part of the fun about writing historical fiction because I find a, a way to find, put myself into all, every story. Like there's my, my favorite character from Judah 
is Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally is based on my, on my mom. Ah, oh, okay. And so, if you want to get to know me, get to, you get to know me through my mom. And my mom was all about food. Yeah. And okay. so everything Aunt Sally taught me, taught Judah was something that my mom has said over the years. And so that was an homage to her in some way. And, Mm -hmm. and the reason why that I sort sort of took this food approach with, for, with my character is all because was impact from, from my mom was because I collect cookbooks and I collect novelty cookbooks. And my mom came to visit one time and we were, and I, and one cookbook, she was reading my, my cookbook collection. She was going through my collection and she, and she came across one cookbook. It's called the, the white trash cookbook. Mm-hmm. And so she reading, she's reading this cookbook and she starts crying. I'm like, why are you crying? And she said, my mom used to make this for me. This dish It's called slum gullion. And I, and I had never made it. I didn't know what it was. And so she says, but she she um she sort of said her mom made and it was she her mom called let's make a meal it was basically uh leftover leftover casserole whatever you mm-hmm. have in the fridge and you just want to, you need something to make something you throw it in the pot yeah and you hope for the best <laughs> she she so she didn't know there was a name for it and so so she's in my kitchen crying. And in that moment, it was it was able to I was able to connect with my grandmother who had died when I was four. Mm. I was able to connect to her in a way that I never never had before. And mm. so it was it was it was a way to really feel the history that made us who we are. And that and that was necessary necessary for in my story, I thought. Yeah. That's cool. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Um, I think that it helps us to imagine what life could have been. And like what it, for me, it helped me to see the blessings that I have currently. Um, it helped me to see that even the worst, worst experiences of, of our history helps us to understand who we are now. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that history is a, is a is when it's told correctly, it helps us to see the truth of who we are. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Brian, this has been a great conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? I'm on Instagram at Dr. Brian, Dr. Dr. Period Brian C. Johnson. Okay. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at The Real Brian, T H E R E R E E L Brian. Real as in like, like film. Right. Because that's where you started. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, friends, I really enjoyed talking to Brian, and I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with him. Now, I usually give you like a whole list of things to do to support the show. I'm not really going to keep doing that because if you listen 
you know, you need to subscribe, you need to go to the show notes. Um, I do want to, however, give you one thing to do. Next week, my newsletter for April is coming out. So go sign up for it. At, I'll put the link in the show notes and you can sign up via the show notes and um, then you'll get my newsletter. And I don't think you'll want to miss this one. Also, a few episodes ago, we had our 100th episode and I did a giveaway in conjunction with that. And I'm super excited to talk very soon to the winner of that giveaway. Her name is Jessica Alvarado and we get to talk today about the podcast and books and all that fun stuff. So I'm excited about that. I'm glad I included that prize in this giveaway because it gives me a chance to speak with a listener. Now, I guess I need to tell you where the show notes live in case they're not right in your podcast app. You can always find them at alisontreat.com slash blog. So make sure you head there to sign up for the mailing list. Now, since I mentioned Harriet Tubman on the show today, I wanted to read one of her quotes to close us out. She said, I have heard their groans and sighs and seen their tears, and I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free them. So hers is a story that really inspires me and is one of the reasons that I love reading historical fiction and learning about history. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next time.